nothing more and nothing less. We are asking that you would be glorified here today, that your name would be exalted over everything, over every other thing in this earth that would distract us and cause us to turn our attention away from you, everything in our hearts, every desire, every need even would be subservient to you. We know and we acknowledge this morning, your word tells us very clearly that that every good thing that we have in our lives, every perfect thing, James says, comes from you. So this morning, Father, we are asking for your grace and your strength to set all things aside, to exalt you, to make you primary in our lives, And also to clear our minds this morning and our hearts, free us from distraction that we might hear the truth of your word today. Father, would you do that for us, please? May your Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts and lives here today. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. I didn't think I was having any trouble with my voice until we started singing that last song. And man, it just asked Lisa. I was belting it. <laughs> I always feel bad for Lisa. I stand right here and she stands right. Actually, I probably should feel bad for April and Joellen and Brooke and everybody too because probably all of them could hear me. But I love that song and I love that truth. The importance of exalting God in our lives, allowing him to have first place. It is so easy for us to find other things to fill that spot, isn't there? Uh, Many of you probably know this already, I'm guessing that you probably do, but for anyone that doesn't, you need to understand that there are a lot of people in this world who claim to be Christ followers, claim to be Christians, claim to love God, read the Bible, but have no desire to be a part of a church. How many people have any, any, ever heard anyone say that? Oh, I love God. Oh, I'm a Christian, but I, 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 don't, I don't need to be a part of a church. I don't like organized religion and all that. Well, here's a couple of reasons that I hear. I, I have this conversation with people all the time. One reason I hear is something like this. My faith is just for me. It's personal. Uh, it's not something I talk about with other people. It's no one's business but mine. That's one. Maybe some of you have heard that too. Here's the other one. I can be a Christian at home. I can be a Christian by myself. It's, uh, I, I read my Bible. I can love God. I don't really like organized religion. I don't need anyone else. Now, that just exists in our world. There are a lot of people who fall into that category in our world. Unfortunately, the events of the last couple of years have just exacerbated those feelings, have just encouraged those sentiments uh, with the restrictions and the lockdowns and the shutdowns and, and just the general fear of being around other people. That has kind of made that even more prevalent and either more prominent Uh, I can just sit in my recliner in my PJs and watch church. That's just as good, right? But is it? Is it just as good? Is, Is true faith something so personal that we can't talk about it with other people? Can we be true Christ followers alone? That's what I want us to talk about 
for just a few minutes here this morning. And as we do that, I want you to consider this. That God has not just called us. If you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm a Christ follower. I, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. I, I care about what the Bible says. Then I want you to think about the fact that God does not just call us out of something, but he also calls us to something. Here's what I mean by that. God has called us out of sin. He has called us out of this world. But he has also called us to serve him, to glorify him. God doesn't call us out of sin. He doesn't say, hey, you, man, I know you've been caught up in all this stuff, and I know you've struggled with this for a long time, and now you know this is wrong, and I want to help you get out of that. Here's my grace. Here's my love. Here's life. I want you to come out of that. And then he doesn't just put us in a vacuum and say, okay, there, you're out. You're good. He calls us to living for him. He calls us to glorifying and serving him. When we were teenagers, our, our pastor of our church that Tim and Melody and I all grew up in, uh, his name was Dr. Bob, and Dr. Bob always used to say this, I can hear it ringing in my ears. He says, we're not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. How do we encourage that? How can we together accomplish what God has asked us to do? How can we glorify him as a church? Well, one of the things that we do here at Moss Brook is encourage something that we like to call partnership. And every year we spend some time around this time in the fall encouraging you to consider partnering with us for the next year to accomplish what God has laid out for us. We agree together on mutual goals and mutual purposes. In our case, we want to glorify God first of all. We want to reach lost people. Whoop. Ah, see, I'm all thrown off. I got this tall stand here today. And it doesn't go any lower than this. And my wife laughs because I'm always tripping over things. If something is a quarter of an inch higher than I'm used to, I trip over it. And I'm going to whack this thing ten times because it's about two inches higher than what I'm used to. Sorry. Anyway, mutual goals and purposes and all that. Let's get back to what we're talking about here. We want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see lost people come to know Christ. We want to share the gospel with them. We want to care for each other. And we want to serve together. That's what it means to be a partner here at Mossbrook Church. We're going to be talking about that a little bit over the next four weeks. Partnership is like most commitments in the world. The benefits, the effectiveness, is in direct proportion to the amount of energy we put into it. You know what that's like, right? You can make a commitment to something, but if you don't follow through on it, if you don't put any time or effort or energy into it, then it doesn't really result in anything. And a lot of times we look back and say, well, why did I even bother to do that? That didn't help any. That didn't accomplish anything. But oftentimes it's what we have decided to, not, or to put into something or not put into something. When we go all in, when we commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we commit ourselves to the body, and in this case, when we commit ourselves to what it means to be a partner here at Mossbrook, it can be very powerful. 
And it can be very protective as well for us as we walk through life and serve together. So over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the purpose of partnership, why we do this. We're going to talk about some of the barriers. Next week, Pastor Tim is going to talk about some of the barriers. What keeps us from doing this? What keeps us from wanting to go all in and to serve together? Then we're going to talk about some of the responsibilities. Okay, if I do this, what does that mean? What do I need to do? And then finally, we're going to talk about the blessings of partnership. But I want you to think about this this morning, folks. The only way that we can accomplish our mission is together. That's the only way that we can do this, is together. So today, what is the purpose of partnership? Why do we do this? Why do we take the time and the energy? Why not just let everyone stay at home? I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of technology in the world, and cameras can do a lot of amazing things, and we could hook up a bunch of... Hey, you know what? I got an idea. Jay, we don't even need this building if we just let everybody stay at home, right? Why even bother? We could save ourselves a lot of time and effort. We'll all just stay in our homes and we'll all just watch church on TV. How about that? <laughs> One person. There's, only, there's two of us. We don't want to do it. Why do we do this? Two reasons. Here's purpose number one. We're called to a mission. We're called to a mission. This is why our faith can be personal but not private. I understand on some level what people are saying. This is my faith. It's my own. Well, I understand that, of course. You have to make a decision before Jesus Christ if you're going to trust him with your life. Of course, that is personal. But it cannot be private because God has given us this task to reach the lost and to evangelize, and we can't do that if we never interact with people about the gospel. So how do we do that? I want you to see this lesson that Paul gives the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bible, join me there in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul is talking about this very thing, how we reach people with the truth of the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, listen to what he says. We're going to read a few verses here. We'll pause, we'll explain what they mean and walk through it here together. He says, 1 Corinthians 9, 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Now, if we were to take time to read this whole passage, you will see that Paul is talking about, in this section of 1 Corinthians, I have found this wonderful freedom in Christ. We've talked about that here before, haven't we? A few weeks ago, we were talking about the fact that in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. God has given us this freedom. And in Paul's case... Paul had some more freedom that he gained in Christ, and that is he was free from the law. He was free from the law that God had given to the Jews. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But what Paul is saying here is, all I am, all I am bound to now is the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. I don't have to worry about anything else. It's Christ alone. As we sang just before the message, right, Christ exalted over all. Christ is the most important thing. He is the only thing that matters. That's the way we as Christ followers are called to live our lives. But we'll look at what Paul says. But I'm willing to be a slave. I'm willing to do whatever I have to do 
For what? What does he say in the verse? To win people to Christ. So we have a little bit of a, a juxtaposition here. We have this freedom in Christ. Paul says, I'm willing to give up all my freedom so that people can come to Christ. Now the word win there is an, it's an economic term. It's a term that was used in business and bartering. And it literally means to trade up. I'm a weird kind of person. I like to watch strange TV shows. My wife is afraid I'm obsessed with Alaska because I like to watch all those Alaska shows. There's like 25 of them. But I also like to watch this show. I, mean, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of it. Anybody ever heard of Barter Kings? I don't even know if it's still on, but I just have a couple of online subscriptions and I see these guys. One guy has Tourette's, if, that, if you remember, if you've ever watched it. It's a very interesting show and they go around and they take one little thing and they say, well, I want to get a speedboat. And so they go back in the shop, and they get a little kid's scooter that's worth 20 bucks. And they find some guy whose kid wants a scooter, and he's got an old compressor in his garage. So they trade a $20 scooter for a $100 compressor. They trade up. And then they take the $100 compressor, and they find a guy that's got a $400 pallet jack that he doesn't use, and they trade the $100 compressor for the $400 pallet jack. See? Number two. <laughs> Anybody keeping track? Make a little tick. Uh, and they do that, and they trade up and up and up, and every time they trade for something that's worth a little bit more than what they have, and a little bit more and a little bit more, and next thing you know, at the end of the show, I don't know, maybe it's all a setup. I, I can't tell. They're driving away with a speedboat hooked to the back of the truck. They're trading something that they have that has value, but they're trading it for something that's worth a little more. Well, that's the word that Paul is using here. I'm willing to trade my freedom in Christ, which is wonderful, Paul says, which is so valuable, which I'm so thankful for, but I'm willing to trade it for something that is more valuable which is seeing people come to Christ. question we have to ask ourselves when we look at this verse and we think about what Paul is saying here is, what's worth more to you than seeing people come to Christ? Or is what you have worth trading to see people saved? Let's keep going because Paul explains more about what he's talking about. Verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Did everybody follow that? Paul does that sometimes, talks in little tongue twisters. What he's saying here is, I'm a free man. I don't have to follow any rules. I don't have to follow any rituals. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he was a Jew, and the Jews sometime will go through the book of Leviticus, and we'll talk about some of those things because they're important for us to understand, even though we're not bound by them. But Paul was a Jew, and he lived his whole life bound to these rituals, bound to this law. There were all kinds of cleansings that they had to do, and all kinds of sacrifices they had to offer, and all kinds of feast days that they had to celebrate. And they had things like the Sabbath day, which said that from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, they weren't allowed to do anything except worship God. But then Christ came. And in Matthew chapter 6, Christ said, 
I have not come to abolish the law, but I tell you what I have done. I have fulfilled the law. You're not bound by this law anymore. That's what Jesus said, and that's what Paul knew. And so he didn't have to do any of those things anymore. But he was willing to go back to it. Why? To win Jews. If there were Jews in his life, Jews that he was spending time with, Jews that God brought across his path, he was willing to, if they said, if this group of Jewish friends said, hey, we're celebrating Passover tonight, Paul could have said, I don't have to celebrate Passover anymore because Jesus saved me. That would have been true. But what Paul was saying was, if a group of his friends invited him over to Passover, he would say, yeah, sure. I'll celebrate Passover with you. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, you guys aren't doing anything tonight because it's Sabbath? That's fine. That's fine. He wasn't bound to them, but he was willing to do them if that gave him an opportunity to share Christ with people who were still in bondage to that system. Verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. <laughs> There's another one. Outside the law, he's talking about, again, the Jewish law. So in other words, he's talking about Gentiles. Paul wanted to see Gentiles come to Christ too. He was Jewish, so he wanted to see Jews come to Christ, but he wanted to see everyone come to Christ. Paul was not racist. He wasn't only concerned about his own people, just the same as we need to be concerned about all people, not just the ones who look like us and who talk like us. And so Paul said, I'll do whatever I have to do to win these people too, whatever their culture is, whatever language they speak, whatever things they like to do, I'll do that too if it gives me a chance to share the gospel with them. That's why for 20 years, we've been sending Dave Shaw and others, myself included, I've gone three times down to Brazil because we want to hear them come to Christ. We want to see them come to Christ. I don't know if any of you have ever traveled cross-culturally before to another country that is very different than your own, but it can be a little jarring. The first time I went to Brazil, Gavin was with me, Dave, and Dave's youngest son, Nathaniel, and we went down, and Dave said, okay, well, in order to get out to the villages where we're going to share the gospel with people, we got to get on this boat, and we're going to go all night, 12 hours, all night, to the, out onto this river, to the village of Mentai. Great, no problem. We got to go in the market. We got to buy hammocks because they don't have beds. Okay, great, no problem. Never slept in a hammock before. I figure, how hard can it be? So we go to the villa. We go to the market. We buy the hammocks. So okay, now we got to get on the boat and we got to hang our hammocks on the boat because that's what holds our spot. No problem. Go in. We set ours up. Gavin was 13 or 14 at the time, so I wanted him close to me. So I said, okay, I'll hang my hammock right here, Gav. You hang yours right here. Dave was there. Nathaniel was there. Good. We're good to go. Okay, let's go get something to eat, then we'll come back. So we do that. We come back a half hour before the boat's going to leave. And Gavin and my hammocks are like, mine is here, his is here. They're like a foot or 14 inches apart. We come back. There's two hammocks between mine and Gavin's. I'm like, what in the world is going on? We've already got the spot. Dave goes, um, 
you need to know something about the Brazilians when they travel on this boat. I said, well, what do I need to know? He said, um, they don't really get the concept of personal space. <laughs> oh, okay. So for 12 hours, I laid in my hammock and slept next to some guy that I'd never seen before, whose language I couldn't speak, but who had no problem with his feet about two inches from my face as we rocked and swayed to the gentle current of the river for 12 hours. We get up to Mantai, we're ministering to people, we're working with people, we're helping them with some stuff they do, we're having meetings, they say, hey, let's have lunch, fantastic. Hey, some of the guys have just been out fishing, we're going to have fish, great, love fish. Hey, we're going to grill it, love stuff on the barbecue, that sounds awesome. So we get up there, I take my little plate, here's your fish, bonk. It's a fish. <laughs> the fish is looking at me with his little lips and his eyeballs and everything. What am I going to do with this fish? So I'm, you know, kind of picking away, <laughs> trying to get the meat off the bones and everything. And, and one of the guys, you know, I, I saw him eating, you know, kind of being kind of a weenie, I guess. And, and uh, one of the guys like, the Brazilian guy, hey, what, are you done? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm all set. He's like, you're not going to eat the eyes? <laughs> like, I'm so full right now. I'm not going to be able to do anything if I eat anymore. He's like, you don't want it? And I'm like, no. He says, thanks, man. Picks it up, flips it over. What are we willing to do <laughs> to see people who are not like us come to know Jesus Christ? I mean, the moral of the story is I went back two more times because I'm thinking, you know what? If I get to be crammed in on a line boat for 12 hours with people that I do not know that are invading my personal space, that's the way they live. That's what they do. If I get to eat fish with the eyeball staring back at me, that's what I got to do. I mean, those are small sacrifices to make, really, in the grand scheme of things. But that's what Paul is talking about. Remember last week when Holly was talking about living in that culture with all those folks in Turkey who desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think it would be easier for her to live here at home in a culture she knows, in a language that she knows, with her family that she loves? Of course. But she's willing to give that up. Is she free to do that? Of course, she's free to live wherever she wants. But she makes that sacrifice. She gives that up, that freedom up, to see people who are not like her come to Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. Now we need to pay attention to the little disclaimer here that Paul gives so that no one misunderstands what he's saying. He says, I'm not free from God's law. We're not talking about being free from moral law. He's not talking about, you know, hanging out with the guys and telling dirty jokes to fit in or gossiping about someone behind their back so that you don't stand out, or going out drinking with your friends on the weekend so they don't think you're weird. He's not talking about violating God's moral law. He's saying, live like the people that you're trying to reach within the standards of his morality. To the weak, verse 22, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. 
Paul's saying the implication here is to the sensitive, Paul was sensitive. If somebody didn't understand, he would explain. If they didn't understand it still, he would explain it again. He was patient. He was kind. He did whatever it took. And it all took time and energy so that he says, I might save some. He didn't soften the truth, of course, to make people comfortable with it. He didn't skip the tough stuff. But he did whatever he could so that people would come to Christ. Verse 23, I did it all, or I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This is the one supreme motivation for us as Christ followers, is to see people without hope understand that Jesus Christ loves them. Why do we do partnership? Because we're called to this mission, to reach people for Christ. Purpose number two, we're called to work together. So how do we accomplish this mission? It's a lot. It's tough. I mean, last week when Holly was up here talking about this and she was saying, hey, what about you? And if you thought she was looking at you in the eye, she probably was looking you in the eye. It's tough. It's tough to make those sacrifices. It's tough to make them here at home, let alone make them abroad. I understand that. So how do we do it? How do we accomplish this mission? Well, we need each other. This is why you can't stay at home in your PJs and watch and say, I'm good. Because we need each other. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. God's design is for us to not be alone. In fact, if you remember all the way back to the book of Genesis, you know there was a time when there was only one human being on the earth, right? Do you remember that? You know what his name was? Adam, right? He was alone. He was the only one. And what did God say when he looked at Adam? He said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good to be alone. Now, I understand that some are alone in this world. Some of you aren't married. That's part of the reason that the church is to be a family, so that those who are alone are not alone. He said, when we are together, we have a reward for our toil. In other words, we share together. We share with the family. Verse 10 says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I think Solomon is talking about spiritual struggle here. Who's going to help? Who's going to help you if you're in danger and you're alone? When you're sick, when you're hurting, when you're struggling spiritually, who's going to help? Verse 11, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? If verse 11 is about, or 10 is about spiritual needs, verse 11 is about physical needs. Who's going to help you with your physical needs and necessities if you're alone and you have lack? In this culture, it was very common when people were traveling at night in the cold desert air, if they were outside, to share a blanket for survival so that they did not freeze. Verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I love this verse. We don't need to super spiritualize it. It's very simple and very practical, and it's this. In any situation, whether dangerous or simply difficult or tiring, there is comfort and safety and success in numbers. 
Solomon says one person alone is in jeopardy from everything, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Two people have a shot. Three is even better. You see, the only way that we can accomplish our mission is together. That's the purpose of partnership. We glorify Christ by winning people with the gospel. Let me ask you a couple of questions. How do you view the lost? If you're here this morning and and you're a Christ follower, you love God, you're thankful for your salvation, how do you view the lost? Do you view them as an enemy to overcome? Or as someone whom God loves that you need to love too and care about? Let me ask you this. Who are you connected to? Who needs to know Christ? And are you using your freedom in Christ to share the gospel with them? See, in Matthew chapter 9, we read Christ interacting with people. And we read there in a couple of verses are very interesting. It says that he had compassion on them. It says they were, they were lost. They were oppressed. They were harassed. They were helpless. Where's your compassion for the hurting and the lost? Jesus had dinner with the sinners. In fact, when he was questioned about it, when people looked at him and said, hey, do you think you should really be hanging out with those people? He said, this is why I'm here. I'm here to reach the people who need me, who are sick. We need to listen to people. We need to be kind. We need to be sensitive to them. You don't have to approve of everything that someone is doing to understand them and care about them. To win people to Christ, you need to share the gospel with them. In order to share the gospel with people, you need to know them. And it's difficult work. It's tough. It's tiring. It can be discouraging because we're called to be counterculture in every way. We're called to not be, to be in the world, but Jesus said not of the world. We need to be distinct in our lifestyle to oppose the, individu- oppose the individualism that plagues our society, and so we have to work together. I want to pause right here and review a couple of our Greek words, okay? Are you ready? Everybody's excited now. Here it is. Starts with H. A lot of syllables. Homologumenus. All right, that's good. Some of you remember it. Does anybody remember what it means? It's from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And when Paul uses the word homologumenus, he is talking about the fact that we agree together. We consent to these things. And we agree that they are true. And my friends, that's what we need. That's what needs to happen in our body as a church if we're going to fulfill this mission. We need to agree together on these things to our, our mutual goals and our mutual purpose. But another word that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 2, it's one I've shared with you as well. This one's a little harder maybe to remember because it's not as fun to say. But it's sigkakapartheo. Sigkakapartheo. Because not only do we need to agree on these things together, that word means that we suffer together. Are you engaged in the mission? If so... There are probably times when you are tired and probably times when you are discouraged and maybe even times when you are depressed. 
and we are challenged in God's word in those times when we want to isolate, want to say, I don't want this, I don't need this, I just want to be by myself, we're encouraged the opposite, to embrace the body, to embrace the church. To share life together means to share the good and bad. It means to share the victories and the challenges. And Solomon says, two are good together and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. How about a 300-fold cord? Could we stand together? If we bonded ourselves together, if we partnered together, could we withstand anything that comes our way through the strength of Christ? Absolutely we could. Do everything that he wants us to do. We're called to be partners together in the gospel. Even that's tough though, isn't it? Because Christ followers are people and people aren't perfect. And so ultimately what we need is Jesus Christ. Jesus overall, that's what we sang, right? In this moment, as we think about our need of Jesus Christ, we're going to celebrate communion together. And I know it's very easy to grab the cup, you know, peel the top off, eat that delicious wafer, and drink that juice, and think, there, another month. But I want you to think about what Jesus Christ did. You want to talk about having freedom that he did not need to give up? Think about Jesus Christ, Lord over all, sitting on the throne. Did he have to come to this earth? Did he have to humble himself? Did he have to give everything for you? No, he did not, but he did because he loves you, because of his grace. And that's what we celebrate in communion. So this morning as we, as we take that wafer, the bread, which is a symbol of his body, and the blood, which is a, uh, the, the cup, which is a symbol of his blood, I want you to thank Jesus Christ that he gave up his freedom for you. And at the same time, I want you to think about God calling you to give up your freedom for others. That's why we're here. Charles Spurgeon said this. Let me just read this little two-line quote for you. If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. If he is something, he must be everything. If he's not everything to you, he is nothing to you. <laughs> we cannot play around with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We can't take advantage of this freedom, take it for granted, and forget the lost who are around us. Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And I pray this morning as we celebrate communion, as we give thanks for the, the wonderful grace of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made on the cross for us so that we could be yours. May we not soon forget our obligation, the command, the mission that you have given us to reach those around us for Christ. May we not be stubborn or stingy with our freedom, but may we give it up willingly to see others come to you. Thank you, Father, for Christ's sacrifice as we celebrate it this morning. I pray that uh, you would be honored and glorified in it. Father, we stand here this morning and we are humbled we are humbled by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
And my prayer this morning is that as we have paused here to remember that sacrifice, and as we consider the challenge that is laid out before us to reach the lost with the gospel here and abroad, that we would be willing to consider giving up what we rightfully have, that we might accomplish this mission. And Father, in the coming days, would you continue to knit our hearts together? I know that our culture wants to tear everything apart, wants to divide everyone, wants to emphasize individualism, but your word, as in everything, stands counterculture to what our world promotes. And you have called us together as a body, as a family. I pray that no one would stand alone, but that two would stand back to back to defend themselves, and that three would be able to stand against everything that our culture throws our way in the strength that Jesus Christ gives us. Father, may you be all to us. If you are anything to us, you must be everything, and that is what we ask for. Be at work in our hearts. May we not quickly forget what we have heard here today. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming, folks. Have a great week.